Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another draft podcast on the Baseball America podcast feed. I'm Carlos Colazo, joined by Peter Flaherty today, and we've got a fun episode today. Uh, we had an interview with Coach Sean McGrath, who is the pitching coach and player develop- development analyst at Iowa. Uh, so we're basically just going to tee up that interview and that conversation. Uh, it was a lot of fun for me, Peter. I'm sure you had a, a blast with it as well. But we're basically just here to tee that up, maybe plug a few things and, and hop straight into that interview. Yeah, I had, a, I had a high bar coming into this week. I was super juiced up to have Coach McGrath on, but it it even cleared my expectations by a wide margin. The, there was a lot of knowledge dropped on both mm. of us. I think, I think we asked a great set of questions where he touched on the individual prospects he's got on his team while also really getting into the nitty-gritty mm. uh, pitching side of things and talking about the under-the-hood stuff. Yeah, hearing about his pitching philosophy, like how he views player development at the college level, how he uses analytics and data like trying to train for command uh like how how you view pitch quality i thought it was all super fascinating i i think it's in line with a lot of the conversations we've had in recent weeks just on various stuff in the college game um so it was really fun to hear about just what he's doing and the pitching staff that iowa has this year uh i definitely left that conversation really excited to see the brody brex and the marcus morgans of the world and in addition to a number of the other arms on the staff, but I mean, really quickly, Coach McGrath goes over his background in a bit more detail. Um, but he played at Lafayette College in the early 2010s for four years. After that, he was a pigeon coach and recruiting coordinator at Iona College. He worked briefly as a scouting director for Prep Baseball Report in New Jersey. Then he spent time at Elon, where he coached uh, first-round pick George Kirby. You might know him as a uh, upcoming ace in the big leagues. For the Mariners, he then spent some time as a coach in the Mariners organization on the minor league side and the pro side in general before returning to the college game where he now enters his second season uh, with Iowa uh, as a, again, pitching coach and player development analyst. Um, So I hope you guys enjoy that conversation. Uh, Before we hop into it, Peter, I'll just let you plug whatever you might want to plug. And also just thank you guys for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. Send us any feedback, any comments, any questions any concerns you might have with the show, but otherwise really thank you guys for listening and supporting BA. I think we got top thirties rolling out on the site this week as we were recording this a little bit earlier in the week, but when you're listening to this, you should be able to see full top thirties for teams. I know the college preview content is humming along, but Peter, what do you have coming up? Yeah, it's all college preview stuff. So starting next week, you're going to have top 25 capsules on every team in the top 25. We've got a lot of other supplementary stories that really fun to write and i think that you guys will really enjoy and then now you know we're only three or so weeks from the college season and then i'm you know it's it's a sprint to the finish so uh mm. it's going to be stuff all year for the next four and a half months combined with all of the draft stuff and the draft cycle and monitoring that so it's going to be a really fun fun time i think yeah 2024 is going to be a blast i've actually booked some of my trips have you booked your trips coming up peter we're I'm really close in. I'm locked into the Desert Classic MLB four bat whatever they're calling it. Uh, <laughs> I am Cal State. I'm Cal K State um, opening mm. night, so I'm going to get Loma Vida, RJ Green, 
Kalen Culpepper, and I really hope it's a close game so that Tyson Neighbors throws in the yeah. eighth and ninth. Uh, that would be very fun to see him against some of those Cal guys. Yeah, so I'll be in. I'll be at the Shriners Classic for the second year in a row at Globe Life in Texas. Good field of college teams there. I mean, obviously the the key guy I'm excited to see is is your boy Travis Bazana. Uh, getting live looks oh, oh, yeah. would be great. Obviously, there will be a bunch of other talented players. Uh, but but the main draw for me is Bazana, who's got a chance to be the number one overall pick in the draft. We'll see what happens with that. But again, uh, just teeing up this interview. We'll get out of the way and get that interview started so you guys can hear about the expertise and incitement of incitement, incitefulness. There's I'll a word there somewhere, it. Peter. I'll allow it. I liked it. Nicely. <laughs> Here is uh, Coach Sean McGrath with Iowa. So thank you guys for listening. And we're here with Coach Sean McGrath from Iowa. Coach, thank you for joining us. We're really excited to talk some baseball, talk some pitching, and, and get a little information about what you do and, and how you're able to maximize pitching development. So thanks for joining us, and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Um, really excited to be on with you guys and, and to talk shop. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into the weeds, can you just briefly kind of talk about your coaching background, your background as a player, uh, the various stops that you've made prior to being at Iowa, uh, I believe this is your second year or your third year. Um, second so just, year. Yeah, so just kind of tell us what that path has been like for you. Uh, it's been a really interesting path. I, I will tell you I've been luckier than most um, in that I wasn't a tremendous player by any means. I was a contributor. I pitched four years at Lafayette College Patriot League School in, in Pennsylvania. Um, upon graduation, had a couple scouts in my corner um, trying to help me land indie ball gigs, things like that. And, um, wound up pitching a summer of independent ball, really kind of lackluster performance. Um, and, but I was able to get re-signed. I, I was essentially 2012's version of the guy who had some stuff and, um, really no location at all, right? Like no ability to throw it anywhere near the zone. Yeah. Um, and so, I was re-signed and, you know, in the meantime, I was emailing basically every local Division One school in the, you know, New York, New Jersey area that had recruited me out of high school looking for volunteer gigs um, because I felt like that was the environment most conducive for my training um, and to help me get the most out of like a an off-season while also trying to get my first taste in, in coaching because I knew... I had a passion for helping others. Um, I just didn't know how, how kind of, how much that passion was was real, and and how much I wanted to explore it after I was done playing. Um, Pat Carey, the head coach at at Iona College in New Rochelle, New York, reached out to me. and said, "Listen, I just lost my pitching coach. Would you be interested in interviewing?" Um, essentially. You know, 22 years old, I, I didn't think I had any opportunity to actually land the job, even though it was a part-time gig. Um, I took the interview thinking it'd be great experience, and a couple of days later, he offered me the job to be their pitching coach. And so I spent my first three years at Iona, um, did essentially couldn't handle, I needed insurance, that type of thing. And after, after my third year, I jumped on board with Prep Baseball Report. I was fortunate to have the opportunity to basically kickstart prep baseball report in the state of New Jersey. Um, knowing that it was kind of like a holdover for me, you know, as I searched for an opportunity to be a full-time college coach, that was where my passion lied. And um, 
at that point, it's I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so I was there until about December when I was hired at UMass Lowell, who was transitioning from D2 to D1. Um, and so I had two really interesting years there as we tried to compile and develop a Division One roster. And after that, I had the opportunity to go to Elon University. That That is really where I started to um, kind of evolve as a pitching coach um, in terms of my ability to utilize, grasp pitching data, data, analytics, all of that sort of thing. So I was there for two years. We had a really, really nice two years highlighted by a couple really awesome draft arms. Um, and I decided to take an opportunity with the Seattle Mariners. I was with them for three years, first year being COVID and then high end and then double A. Um, and then, you know, in last fall, I jumped on board here at, at uh, Iowa and I've been here for two years. And, you know, apart from the cold, which I don't really <laughs> love, everything else has been, you know, a dream come true. So yeah, that's, that's phenomenal. That's my story. Go ahead, Peter. No, I was going to say, I love it. I'm a Northeast guy myself. So I love, like, I remember writing you up for the assistant coaches pieces that I had wrote and that I had written. Um, and I love seeing all the Northeast ties with UMass Lowell, Iona, uh, you being a Jersey guy that fired me up. And I'm a Patriot league guy. I went to Holy cross. So there you go. I love that as well. Uh, kind of without showing your hand too much. What are, you know, your philosophies and core principles as a pitching coach, because it's no secret that really everywhere you've been, whether it be at Elon with George Kirby, Iowa now with the dudes you've got that we'll get into, and even in Seattle, um, but you've had a massive amount of success really everywhere that you've gone um, and have, have kind of established yourself as one of the premier pitching coaches in the game. Like I know right now, if I'm a high school arm, um, and I'm a talented high school arm and I want to maximize my ability. Um, I'm looking at where coach McGrath's at and what he's doing. So what are kind of your, your pillars as a pitching coach? First of all, I, I appreciate the kind words. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, like you, you mentioned a couple of really, really talented arms and um, you know, good pitchers make good pitching coaches. And I believe that um, wholeheartedly. Um, but, you know, with, with that being said, I, I think my, Evolution as a pitching coach has, you know, allowed me to, you know, carry different things in in terms of importance. Um, but I'm really kind of set on my north star now, which, again, understanding that your your ultimate scorecard um, or your your ultimate report um, or grade is wins and losses, right? It's our job to prevent runs, and so when you kind of dig in, in, into those layers. Um, it really just amounts to, you know, what we call here and what they called with the Mariners dominate the zone. And what we're trying to do with dominate the zone is understand that at its very kind of micro level, it's about leveraging counts. Um, and so, you know, whether you're Brody Brecht or, or a freshman here, we really, really emphasize your ability to leverage counts push counts forward in your favor, essentially win OOs and 1-1s. Um, on a more macro level, for us, it's kind of three-prong. The three things we really, really care about are strikeouts and maximizing those, minimizing walks, and then the third component would be, you know, limiting damage, which would be for us, 
you know, limiting hits and then limiting slugging percentage against. Um, last year as a staff, we were really, really tremendous um, at punching guys out and limiting damage. The walks kind of got away from us. And, and you know, for me as a coach, it's one of those things like walks are kind of like fight club, right? We don't talk about it. Um, you know, <laughs> we're going to address it with strategy and, and, you know, obviously within our development structure and systems. However, right, like the, the pinnacle is to be good at all three, which you saw, you know, Corey Mascara and those guys at Wake Forest, they were really good at all three facets of dominate the zone last year. And they reap those rewards, right? And so that that's where we're trying to go. That That's what we're chasing each and every day. Um, and for each guy that's going to look a little bit different, and it, I think it's our ability to take like a, what we call a best version of yourself approach here, where each and every guy, yes, we're pulling on the same rope, trying to move the dominate the zone needle that will lead to more wins. But each guy has you know, what we call a player plan, um, which are goals assigned to them that are going to make them the best version of themselves. And, and I think it's that, that, that kind of allows us to, to grasp the, you know, the process of development a little bit better at times than others. I'm That's happy awesome. you got into, into dominating the zone. Cause that was something I had written in my prep that I want to ask you about. Cause I see you and it's really fun. Actually, people should, you know, hop on Twitter and look at it, but you and coach Muscara, coach Weiner, even you guys will go back and forth, like in a public space and talk about pitching, <laughs> which I love seeing you guys chop it up. And I think you also brought up a key point that each pitcher is so different from one another, regardless of how similar they might look to the naked eye on the mound, you know, two power guys even are so, are, are so different from each other. So like, I, I, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, Brecht and Morgan, um, their plan of attacks are going to be different. Obermuller's plan of attack is going to be different from them. So um, I'm happy you brought that up as well. Yeah, and, and kind of related to that, I was curious about, you mentioned your time at Elon and with some of the arms there, obviously George Kirby uh, being one of the most prominent uh, guys that you've probably been able to coach at this point. Just looking at George Kirby now compared to Brody Brecht now, they seem like vastly different pitchers in terms of where their skills lie. Uh, obviously Brecht is known for his elite stuff. George Kirby had maybe the best command that I've seen uh, at the amateur level, it would be a short list of players who joined him. What is the difference in coaching players who, who have those different strengths? And do you think it's easier or more difficult to help develop stuff or command? Cause I know it, it feels like in the past uh, there's been this logic of, Oh, you, you can't develop stuff as easily as command. So take a bunch of command pitchers add stuff. But there are some teams at the major league level that seem to do a pretty good job of just getting players to put their stuff over the plate more. So how would you talk about the differences in, in helping coach pitchers that are so vastly different but have similar talent levels? Yeah, I, I, that's a wonderful question. I actually think that lies in like a player plan process. The ability to, within a system, um, kind of allow each guy to explore a range of outcomes um, each and every day in practice, knowing that they have three, four, five goals assigned to them individually that we're monitoring, we're tracking, you know, we're, we're opening and closing feedback loops for um, that are going to allow them to be the best version of themselves. So like, for instance, with George, um, we, I knew, we knew as a staff at Elon that there was a, a baseline for, for real control and command. Um, 
and for us it was about you know getting him one to buy into this is your identity but then two here's the here's how we're going to supplement that right we're we're going to you know make advancements on the curveball really really try to develop the slider and let's pay attention to the fastball shape um conversely for a guy like Brody Brecht or Marcus Morgan or Cade Obermuller um they have a higher kind of floor when it comes to stuff right and so it's getting them to understand um that is your calling card right um you know last year all you know the the two guys Brody Brecht and Marcus Morgan in particular were really good at punching guys out and limiting hits and limiting damage um that was by nature right we were going to play into their strengths understanding that long term you know if we took a more 24 month perspective the goal is to really get you to be an incredible strike thrower as well and so while they had to perform now meaning last year and we had to really kind of hone in on on the command piece you know we knew at the very least there was a there was a floor for success that was going to be high enough for us to be successful knowing that the other two parts of their game are going to be taken care of. Um, and then, you know, it, the command versus stuff, what's easier to develop it. I, you know, I'm at the point now, at least in my coaching career where like, you know, we say it all the time here, like you could teach a, a slider to a drunk monkey. Right. And so like, if you understand that and, and you know, you understand how to shape pitches and, and things of that nature, you know, the stuff part is pretty easy to take care of. The command piece is a little bit more interesting. Um, you know, there's a couple different takes as to how to do it. Um, for us, you know, we try to grasp the idea that, you know, it's not about the form of the delivery. It's about the function of the delivery. And the function of the delivery is to support intended ball flight, right? That would be velocity, break, and location. And so we don't focus a ton on the delivery um, unless we know it could tangibly change one or more of those contributing parts to what makes a individual pitch successful. And so from there, you know, we're able to essentially take each guy and put them through a system for development. For us, you know, we spent six weeks extensively training command, utilizing command balls, um, exploring a little bit more variability in our throwing program um, to allow our guys to get more touches at trying to read a you know an environment, um, plan their throw, and then do it. Um, and so what we were targeting this this fall in our individual sessions was missed distance and missed trajectories. One, so we could hone in on strategy and targeting a little bit more this year but more more so to really hone in on the skill of like throwing the baseball where you want to. Um, yeah, then, I'm curious, what, what is the feedback mechanism with that sort of command training? Like, like how are you guys actually implementing that? That's, that's fascinating. Yeah, so for guys that threw a lot last year, we had um, essentially the pitch location I called for each pitch type um, all year tracked. And then, you know, gathered more data there this fall. Mm. Um, and from there, we had essentially based on each location that I called for each pitch, what the missed trajectory was, and then the missed distance. 
And from there, we were essentially able to take each guy and, and plan um, and track that in bullpens, in live BPs, things of that nature. That's that's awesome because I feel like from the public side, the command piece has always been one of the biggest mysteries because you, you, you're kind of guessing at what the intent is in terms of location. But when you're calling the pitch and the location, you have a very clear idea of where you're trying to hit and where the execution either succeeded or failed. So that's awesome. Yeah, and that that's where we, we thought we were a little bit ahead um, in utilizing our, our information, our data, our tools. We said, well, shoot, we know where, where our guys are intending to throw. Therefore, we also know where they're missing, how much they're missing by. And we could really present this in a way that could be scalable and really meaningful. Yeah. And you're kind of getting into this already, but I did want to ask you because I feel like part of this conversation was came about because of some analytics um, pieces we've been talking about and writing about and, and just the greater access to pitching data that we have on the public side. I think it's fascinating. I feel like I have a more granular view of what pitchers do well, um, what they maybe don't do well. You can get really just nitpicky about certain things. So how exactly do you use analytics and pitching data generally as a coach, maybe as an evaluator, but also for that development piece? Is that like a foundation, foundational aspect of, of how you view yourself as a pitching coach at this point? For sure. I, you know, part of the reason I'm here at Iowa and, and decided to jump back into the college game was that I understood the systems were in place. Um, thanks to Desi Drushel, Robin Lund, obviously Coach Heller and Coach Sutherland's growth mindset as they lead this program. Um, and I knew all I had to do was, was evaluate our internal systems. And if I can make them 10% better, we were going to be in a really, really wonderful place, right? And so the way we view analytics here, um, and we have 25 managers, eight analysts, like we are a full-blown like front office at this point. Um, but the way we view it here essentially is that like analytics and pitch data allows us to be a little bit more objective and more evidence-based with regards to like opening and closing feedback loops. Um, you know, it's the idea that like with data, we're able to look at pitching through a little bit of a different lens. Um, it allows our guys, like we talked about earlier, to tie their deliveries to the function of it as opposed to the form of it. And so when we collect biomech data, which we did, you know, through our partnership with P3, um, you know, we did that this fall. It wasn't just let's maximize these deliveries for velocity. But, you know, it was, let's take a look at our deliveries and let's not take away a pitcher's particular superpower. What make what might make a guy be able to sweep a slider at 83 and 17 inches, right? We did not want to mess with that. We wanted to take our delivery and essentially say, okay, can we tangibly make a pitch shape better? Can we make location better? How can we do it? Um, and use basically a process of backwards induction, right? If we're searching for this target shape on a fastball, right? Does our delivery support that intended ball flight, right? So we start with the pitch and we kind of work our way back to the delivery and how we might be able to impact the delivery to support the intended ball flight we're looking for. That's awesome. That's uh, super interesting. And then circling back to a name you brought up, obviously he's one of the biggest names in college baseball. What was it like to finally have your hands on Brody Breck this fall? Because 
it's no denying the talent, but, you know, coming right off the football field and going straight to the diamond, like, and, you know, you obviously practice in season, but it's a full sprint to the finish. So what was it like finally getting him this fall, slowing it down a little bit? And what were some of the small tweaks um, that you made with him that are going to go a really long way? Yeah, it, Brody, Brody, as what he's done, everyone kind of looks at Brody and it's like, man, it's a raw skill set. Um, it's just a raw athlete. And you guys couldn't be more dead on, right? It's like we would get him in January and there was no six-week development path or plan for him. There was no BVY beyond like we just got to throw OO strikes and you're going to just be nasty in and around the zone um, to the best of your ability. All we were doing for for essentially the entire month of January when we got our hands on him was building a workload capacity for him to basically pitch in the role he was going to pitch in, right? And so we would open and close feedback loops. He would come in and debrief at their live outings, but it was essentially like, is there anything small we can do here to get you to throw 5% more strikes, right? Um, there was no real granular, let's get him better. And, you know, the one time you saw us have a little bit of time was last year when we took him from Friday to Sunday in our rotation. Um, what that allowed us to do was have 10 days of work with him or, or eight days, whatever it was. Um, we had two bullpens um, and we pushed forward the next week. He's pitching on Sunday. Well, here comes an enormous fastball strike rate that we haven't seen. And that was with like nine days of work, really mm -hmm. diligent, where we could just slow him down, say, you're not competing this Friday. Let's get two bullpens in and let's get after it. Right. Guy increased the strike rate by 15%. Was that the, week. so I saw, I think it was the analytics uh, Twitter account for you guys tweeted out that his strike rate with the fastball in his last four starts, I believe was significantly better. Was that the time period that you're referencing? And that, that was literally yeah. just from having a couple extra days to get some intentional work in between starts. Bingo. That was it. Wow. That was, you know, so, let's give him just a little bit of time. It wasn't a performance move yeah. as to why we moved him out of the role. It was like, let's hit on, you know, before this tournament, before the stretch, a little mm. bit of development with them. So what were the kind of action items in that development window that, that you were able to improve the strike rate so much? I mean, I, I feel like he's a guy who, if he can, if he can make even slight improvements with the strike rate, just the entirety of the arsenal plays up because you don't often see 92 mile per hour sliders at the college level uh, on top of just one of the hardest throwing fastballs that you're going to see in the country. Yeah, no doubt. And and for us in that time period, it was as simple as just like rhythm and commitment. That's what we were focused on. And then off the mound in throwing program each and every day, we essentially reset the throwing program to be a little bit more variable with the introduction of command balls, varied targets, um, and varied movements with each pitch type. Um basically like an athletic throwing program. Yeah. Can you not expand so on what command rigid. balls are? Because I'm, I'm not entirely sure what those are, and I'm sure if, if I don't, some listeners might not either. No, that that's awesome. So Driveline came out with, you know, maybe Are these the weighted balls? Ago. They're weighted, but they're also 5% bigger and 5% smaller. So you could have uh, a normal five-ounce baseball mm -hmm. and then have one that's just a little bit thicker and one that's, you know, 
feels almost like a golf ball when you're throwing it. And the idea behind that is like, um, it's a way to be a little bit more variable, increased mm-hmm. proprioception, right? Yep. How and what is the ball doing out of my hand? Um, with the idea that like, all you're trying to do is create really wonderful problem solvers, right? And if they could solve the problem of let me hit my partner in the head hmm. with the same weighted ball, but 5% bigger, 5% smaller, you know, if I can do that seven out of 10 times, as opposed to four out of 10 times, I am now tangibly better at feeling the baseball out of my hand. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm curious what you think of my very amateurish, uh, thought about Brody's delivery specifically. I think we mentioned it a couple of podcasts ago, but his arm speed is so fast and his arm action is more compact maybe than you would think. Do you think there's an element of just the amount of speed and how compact the arm action is that it is maybe just generally hard to sync up and get a consistent timing with that? Or is that off base? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match. With Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. After the holidays, a little cash goes a long way. The Chime checking account has tons of benefits to help, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of fee-free ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today at chime.com goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair, especially when you consider like the guy has never had an opportunity to work at it. And you guys, you know, said, you know, alluded to that time period we have now um, where this guy has been like actively, you know, and really deliberately trying to be the best version of himself. 
I, I'm so excited for the country to kind of see what he looks like. Um, his first live set this past Friday, he threw 46 pitches, and by our internal measures, only threw five non-competitive misses um, with an average fastball of 99.4. With <laughs> yeah, with two distinguished sliders, one sweeper and one oh. downer. So that's what we're going to see too. Two unique, two unique sliders and a splits coming this year. Yeah, last year we saw essentially both of those shapes, but it was just Brody like ripping the heck out of it, right? Yeah. And and so we had time this year, you know, to really say, okay, let's go for ninety-one and a half with ten inches of sweep, and let's go for ninety with six inches, seven inches of depth. And um, he's at a point now where those two things are. They are different pitches, man, and, and he's in a good spot. And uh, I'm really excited about his ability to, you know, flood the strike zone and get to more advantageous mm-hmm. parts of the plate. Um, you know, and, and I'm excited for the country to kind of watch this guy evolve this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, and I'll, I'll let Peter get off Brody Brecht in a minute, but I am curious too, since you mentioned the splitter, like what are your thoughts on the amount of usage for that pitch just considering the velocity he has and the slider i feel like particularly at the college level and even high school too a lot of pitchers just don't throw change-ups especially when they have good enough fastballs and breaking balls it's almost like more of an opportunity to give hitters a chance to do some damage what are your thoughts with with his splitter specifically and just pitch usage for a player like brecht and and some of the other guys on your staff as well yeah, so Brody, the the idea behind it, we didn't know whether it would be, you know, the addition of a sinker or taking the changeup from a changeup to a splitter. We were looking essentially to cover the side of the plate in the righties away to lefties, something he didn't get to a whole lot last year. Um, and so for a normal guy, maybe you can't cover, it, you know, into a righty with a splitter or a changeup. But, you know, with him, he's throwing that thing 92 to 93 and a half. You know, if he's showing that pitch in the righties away to lefties, you know, we could essentially leverage more of the plate than we did last year. Hmm. And so, you know, he's done a really wonderful job for him. It's like a let's prioritize location on that pitch. And if the shape is really good, it's really good. If not, we know it at least is going to cover that half of the plate a little bit more. So we'll see a little bit less weak contact, hopefully, and a little bit more whiff, you know, and it's funny, but, you know, the guy who gets a a ton of whiff already, you know, it's something he could definitely improve upon. So, um, you know, that's the idea. And then when we talk about usage, um, you know, I laugh all the time that, you know, essentially, you know, we are the one program that, and there's others out there, but, you know, we don't necessarily think of our arsenal in a, in a traditional way, right? It's not establish the fastball, pitch off the fastball. Um, more so it, for us, it's about utilizing the fastball to accentuate the rest of our arsenal, which is more apt to get whiff, right? And so you guys did your awesome podcast, Carlos. You guys did it on, you know, build out your pitcher. And I was, I was listening to it and neither of you guys neither pick Brody Breck's fastball too, and too I obvious tweeted, it'd be a boring pick <laughs> yeah and I almost tweeted well listen Brody's fastball velocity is going to protect the, the rest of that arsenal you're picking out you know and and just having to anticipate 100 will allow you know Tyson Neighbor's slider to play up 
And so yeah. that's where I would have went if I was involved in that podcast, um, just as, you know, arsenal protection. No, that's I, awesome. With the pod, I think we went into it pre-show and we also touched on it in show. We were like, all right, we could pick Breck for <laughs> fastball and the banger breaking ball, but like we're gonna have a little fun with it. And play <laughs> so he's almost blacklisted from like build out your college pitcher because a lot of people just pick Brody Breck. Um, but I'm super fired up. Like, I don't want to stick unfair expectations on him, but I'm really excited to see him this this um, this season because we were talking about it last week. It's like, and you hit on it previously, but if the the competitive pitch amount, if the competitive pitch rate goes up a little, and he's just around the zone even more, like it is scary what he's going to look like. And I'm fired up to see that that revamp split change because. I remember watching last year, I think it was against Texas Tech, and he didn't, he threw it, I don't know how many times in the outing, but it wasn't a ton, but he turned over a few like wicked changeups. I'm sitting there, I'm like, what the, like this, this kid is a freak. Um, but in the same breath, uh, with Marcus Morgan, you know, last year, there's no doubt the Velo was there with the fastball, but the shape, I guess, in my mind, and then also in looking under the hood a little, the shape was a little more modest. Um, but now I see you tweeting out videos of him in, in bullpens this fall, and he's getting up to 20 inches of ride on it. So what are some of the, again, without revealing the the secret recipe, what were some of the tweaks that you went into this fall with Marcus um, to help maximize his fastball and, and, and really optimize that shape? Yeah, so Marcus is really interesting, right? I, I think about Marcus the athlete first. And he is the second most athletic guy when it comes to coordination that I've ever coached. First would be George Kirby. George can literally do anything you ask him to within like two or three reps, um, including like throw footballs, 40 yards lefty, you know, weird stuff, you know. Um, So he's the second most coordinated athlete I've had the opportunity to coach. And he might be the second most athletic behind Mariano Rivera, uh, the third, his son. Um, who ran like a 62960. Bert was like 44 inches, right? If Marcus is second in both of those categories, you anticipate like this really, really wonderful strike thrower, right? And so Marcus actually, I think, is going to make really tangible gains in that dominate the zone, you know, department, you know, specifically cutting down the walk rate this year. Um, because last year, right, like Brody. It wasn't that he didn't have a full like work cycle. It was that like he was just trying to like rid himself of, of a crappy freshman year. Right. And so a lot of that was just trying to work on the mental skills involved with pitching really well. Um, you know, or pitching poorly and trying to combat that. Um, and at the end of the last year, we saw a better version of him. With regards to the fastball, um, a guy like Marcus is a little bit different because he is so coordinated. Um, for me, it was simply like education, right? This is what we, we need to do. This is what we intend to do with the fastball this year. Um, and kind of sold at, this, at, at the idea of like, hey, let's really be intentional about distinguishing the slate shapes on your four seam and your cutter specifically because like everyone blends those together when they write about them and talk about them, but more so because we know how, how much better the arsenal can be. Um, and so while he was searching for cut on the four, uh, cutter, 
you know, getting it more to negative two at 89.92 and trying to really, really leverage ride with his low release height on the four seam, he's been able to be really intentional this fall about both. So it was an education and then like affording him the op- opportunity to explore kind of problem solve for himself, whether that be with marked balls, a simple yes or no, good or bad feedback in bullpens, um, utilizing the Edgertronic cameras um, as like a test retest model, um, allowing Marcus to be Marcus in, a, in the simplest form, right? Allowing him to leverage his athleticism into like real tangible skill change. He's someone I'm particularly really excited to watch because I, I think right now he's one of the most underrated arms in the country. I think he, I mean, he's got a chance to have three true plus or better offerings start at the next level. You mentioned the athleticism and the low release height. The data seems like it's really going to be there this year too, the under the hood stuff. So I'm excited to watch him go to work and I, in, oh, did you want to go ahead, Lowe's? No, 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 go ahead. Oh, my bad. I was going to say, in the age of data and analytics, too, it's easy to get caught up in in all these metrics and stuff, and it's harder to simplify it. As, as a pitching coach, you know, what are some of the under-the-hood under metrics that you look to maximize, you know, whether it be uh, ride on a fastball, sweep on a slider, um, end zone miss rate. Um, could you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, I would be very curious which of the either data points or, or metrics you view as most important, just generally, if you had to only pick a couple. Yeah, so so that's awesome because it brings me back to when I started at Elon, right? Like what particular metrics what, were I was I going to key in on? Um, and for me, it was at the time, it was velocity, obviously. Um, and then what makes a pitcher unique? What what might set him apart from others? So you consider like a Sean Sullivan fastball last year, right? It was the ability to keep it flat, you know, with a good vertical approach angle from a low release um, and plus extension. You guys mentioned Massey's fastball. It's a wonderful fastball with riding life and plus extension. Um, and so you never, you want to accentuate those, right? You don't want to cut Massey back six inches on extension. Now the fastball is not quite as good. And so um, I really focused on uniqueness, you know, three, four years ago, where now we, we're in such a wonderful spot from a systems perspective that we have what we call stuff plus. Essentially, um, all stuff plus is, is it's based on historical precedent. How have pitches, these pitches and pitches just like it performed over the last two, three years, kind of scaled toward the power five. Um, and then we take those, we ha- we know what division one average is. And from there, our analysts do a wonderful job of basically saying, what is the top 20% of each pitcher's fastball slider? You know, something that he's already shown he can do. And so we call those target shapes or flash shapes. And essentially that is what we try to basically double down on each and every day, getting guys closer um, a little bit, allowing their them to get to their flash shape more often so that it could become more stable. And so that's where we go with it now. It's not like a particular pitch or, or, or you know, ball flight metric. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, Reese Buter, his fastball is good because of low release height. 
you know, if we could accentuate the velocity and ride and run, right, we can leverage vertical approach angle. However, we don't have to say all that. We just tell them, hey, the stuff plus on your fastball is a 117 on average, you know, 17% better than division one average. But you flash these fastballs that are a 145. Can we get there a little bit more consistently? Mm-hmm. Here's the how you do it. You know, here's how we've seen you do it. Here's the part of the zone that would be a, a little bit more advantageous for you. And boom, we go. You, you t- hit on something there that I'm really curious about. And that's just like the literacy of your pitchers and maybe just players overall with all of these analytics. It does seem like in general, amateur players have just more exposure to the technology and the Rapsodos and, and pitch shaping. And, and a lot of these things have kind of become more omnipresent in the industry. So I imagine they're a lot more literate today than they would have been 10 years ago in these spaces. But how do you balance giving the players the information that they might need versus overwhelming them? And, and I'm sure from player to player, some guys might want a lot of data and want to look into it. And for other players, it might just be kind of overwhelming and they're not able to either pick out the things that are useful to them or maybe it just distracts them from what they do well. So how do you manage, I guess, the information diet that you're giving these players? And I guess also how have you seen just the literacy of the players improve over the years? Yeah, I think each player's individual, like you noted, it's about giving the each guy the right dosage, right? And so after every live outing, every player gets a report um, emailed to them basically like an hour after the game by our analysts. Um, and then after that, we, the day after we come in and we debrief, right? What that allows me to do and allows us to partner on me, me and the player is essentially the closing of a feedback loop where we're tying each and every guy to what is most important for them and for us as a program and as a pitching staff. And then, right, kind of like moving forward, here's where we need to focus this work week to be a 10% better next week, right? And so it's those debriefs um, that allow us to kind of tie a bow on it and allow guys to keep the main thing the main thing without kind of drifting onto what they might feel is important. And so those are probably the most important piece uh, of what we do throughout the year, especially while we're performing in season is like, Hey, let's get, let's dive into the weeds the next day. You know, I could kind of curb or reroute conversations and mindsets when I need to um, knowing that each and every guy is definitely diving into that report after the game um and as far as the literacy is concerned man guys know so much nowadays right and we talked a little bit about the delivery like you go on twitter you could be your own pitching coach nowadays right with with what these guys are putting out there and it's about you know trying to channel that you know all that information into what you and your program thinks is most important for that player and for your program and pitching staff. And, and so that that's the challenge nowadays is, is trying to get guys locked in on the right thing at the right time. No, that's phenomenal. Um, Peter, do you have anything else? Those are the big ones, but I, I do want to do a, maybe a quick hitter uh, with, with different pitch types since you brought it up at some point, but Peter, I'll let you ask any other questions if you want to get to some. Yeah, two two quick ones. Um, you know, your career path, you've gone from college to the pro level back to college. What did you bring from you? What did you bring with you from college to the pro side and then from the pro side back to college? Because I think that 
um, it's been really valuable at, at each level you've been at. Yeah, I think going to pro ball, I brought with me an open mind, right? That that jump for me was um, kind of selfishly so I can learn and grow as a pitching coach. I knew that I could be supported in a way in which, you know, if I turn the page and we're two years from the point where I made the decision to join the Mariners, I could be a much better pitching coach uh, because of it. And then back to college, I brought the – you know, one, how important mental skills are, right? Watching guys trying to um, force their way into the big leagues when so many variables are against them. Um, watching those guys have to deal with the day-to-day of what that looks like um, allowed me to, like, place a huge amount of what I do in, in the mental skill space. Uh, the other thing was systems, right? Like, if you can clearly define your system – and your North star and then like track it, you know, make progress on it. How about essentially these player plans we have for these players is like a report card on how I'm doing as a pitching coach, right? And our force plate profiling in the weight room is a report card on how our strength coach is doing, you know, with, with regards to force profiles, Um, you know, having that accountability is wonderful. And that's something I really learned to love with the Mariners was like, now we tangibly know if we're doing our job well or not. Um, and again, it's ultimately about wins and losses. And, you know, if we're going to win 10 to eight that day, I'm taking it. Um, but my job is to prevent runs the same way the job of a defensive coordinator is to prevent points. Um, you know, that is, you know, how do we do that at the real granular level? That is our player plan. That is our systems. Um, and that that's what's been a lot of fun, you know, kind of jumping back into college is leveraging some of what I learned um, in that space, you know, and bringing it, you know, to 20 guys as opposed to, you know, an ever-flowing roster, pitching staff, you know, that type of thing. That's, that's really interesting. And then lastly, for, uh, at least on my end, this is probably the most hyped up and and the highest preseason expectations that Iowa baseball has had maybe ever Um, in the locker room and in the clubhouse. How are you guys kind of staying in check, managing those expectations, not getting too out of whack um, and kind of keeping that focus on the North star? Yeah, I, I think it's all kudos to coach Heller and and coach Sutherland, right? Those guys are rock stars. They've been rock stars in, in the college game for a long time. Um, and what those two do better than maybe anyone else I, I've ever been around is they keep it about two things, right? Our people, so like the culture side of things, and then our process, right? Obviously, it's the process of winning games, right? But they talk about being a process-driven you know, uh, program, and they live it each and every day. We focus on like how to get better at each today um, so well. And it's because of, of their voice and, and, you know, their vision for this program. Coach Heller is a rock star in that department. Um, and our guys reap that reward all the time. And so we talk a lot now about like embracing the expectations, but no, it doesn't change our work, right? We have to be deliberate. We have to be intentional Um, This is where, you know, in our work, our day to day, that's where we're going to beat guys, you know, in April, May and June. 
It's awesome. Um, Coach, you brought up the, uh, the the drafting of pitches that we did, and I'm curious if you would want to give your own answers for those pitch types. We can go through pitch types, all four pitch types and command in college baseball. I imagine you have a, a pretty good view, especially since you're talking about stuff plus of like the pitches that are elite in the college space. So I'm curious if you would one, want to do that. And then two, if we can go through it. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. Cause I, as I was listening to you guys do it, I said to myself, I would take Brody's fastball yeah. with, with Massey's, you know, pitch shape right perfect um, yeah there you go but you know if i can only pick one because it protects the arsenal i'm going with brody breck's fastball right okay. and if you consider how we pitch right the fastball is you know arsenal protection mm-hmm. and the fastball really is you know we try to weaponize it as much as possible okay right? we throw more sliders than anybody i think half the industry hates me because brody <laughs> breck threw 50 percent sliders last year hey well all so. those big league teams are throwing more sliders than ever too so i don't i don't think it's unique to just you so you got brody's fastball so whose slider would you take um this is really this is the really hard one right because the value um in college right you think about kumar rocker yeah kumar rocker you know he had that like 84 85 mile an hour kind of gyro ball um which isn't super sexy but it out like its performance in college is really really wonderful um and so you know i don't love it like projecting forward on into pro models as much but like I think about, you know, Tyson Neighbors, like you guys selected, hmm. uh, really wonderful kind of gyroless slider. Um, you know, Thatcher Hurd throws one that's really similar. We have a guy here who's made tons of improvement. Um, Anthony Watts, who throws a gyro slider like 88 to 90. It's basically like Brody's. Um, I would go with one of those. So let's just say Tyson Neighbors, okay. you know, just for awesome. Um, all right, a let's move. Bit of variance. Let's move to the curveball. It definitely feels like the breaking ball that has fallen out of favor a bit, uh, which makes me appreciate the really good curveballs when you see them because everyone wants to throw sliders, and I mean sliders have been more effective. But if you had to pick a curveball, yeah, this is a tough one because I've paid no attention to it. Um, <laughs> that's so that's, funny, right? Because it's fallen out of favor. Yeah. Um, you know, shoot, if you want to call Brody's sleeper a slider and his you know initial kind of depth that you want a curveball i'd go with brody's but Perfect. um you know you give me who are, who are some of the other ones out there uh, i think i took eli jersenbeck's it's like super high spin i think he commanded it pretty well if i remember correctly bit of a hammer uh, the usage okay. was up there so i liked his and i think if i couldn't take his i think thatcher herds maybe was the other curveball that i would take okay uh, okay peter do you have one I think I took Thatcher's uh, high mm. spin pitch, ton of depth. It's like a true twelve six banger. Like, yeah. it's legit. Yeah, you don't see those twelve sixes anymore. Okay, change up. Change up. That's that's a really interesting one. Um, there's no like uh, Walthrop splitter out there. Yeah, this year, I feel I like last think. year we had some more obvious change ups. This year yep. we don't have as many. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I, you know what I'll I'll do. I will. Um, keep that in house and I, I will go Marcus Morgan's change up. Mm. Um, you guys are about to see this like 86, 88 depth ball with 18 inches of run. It, it's really fantastic right now. Um, we're trying to give him reps um, and allow him to earn the right to throw it a little bit more right on right. Um, but it is one of the best change ups in, in the country. Uh, grades out, you know, 65, 70% better 
than division one on on average basically in terms of velocity separation and break and so if we could really stabilize that pitch it's going to be absolutely electric this year that's phenomenal and then the last one i guess would just be command command i i like the guy nathan bannister mariners uh former mariners pitching coach minor league pitching coach he's got a guy at uh gcu who could really command the heck out of it um what's the guy's name yeah yeah that kid that kid's awesome he's a rock star okay um well, I He'll don't feel too probably. <laughs> I don't feel too terrible because a lot of the names you mentioned were the names we brought up. So at least at least we're in line with with some things there. But um, coach, it, I like to always end interviews. If there's something that we haven't brought up or something that you want to mention that we haven't talked about, please feel free. But otherwise, really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing some knowledge, uh, kind of getting in the weeds on these players. I've I've had a blast, and hopefully the reader or the listeners have as well. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, no problem. And I, the only thing I'll say is, you know. I, I really, really appreciate and and am grateful for y'all's coverage of our game. Um, I really think college baseball is absolutely incredible, and I think it's been underappreciated, like I've told you guys kind of um, at different times. But th- what you guys do for our game is undeniable, and you guys do a wonderful job covering prospects, teams, and and. You know, you guys keep moving that needle, man, because it's a lot of fun to read and follow along. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. It's a blast to do, obviously, just being involved in the game in any capacity. And I think I say it on, on a podcast me and Ben Badler do that's kind of more wide-ranging than just draft and amateur. We do pro stuff as well. But I really wish people in February, when, when people who are Major League fans get excited about spring training, we really need people to get excited about real live games in college baseball. A lot of these prospects that are going to be in their organizations a year from now are displaying their talent. Um, I mean, I, I can't imagine the talent has ever been better at the college level. So I'm pumped. I'm ready for mid-February. I'm ready to see live games. And you have me very pumped up about this Iowa pitching staff and Iowa in general. So I'm excited. No doubt. We're all excited. And, and hope you know, if you're ever in Iowa City or you're, you know, able to catch the Hawks, man, you know, let's grab some, some coffee or some breakfast or something. Sounds good. Peter, I'll let you close yeah. it out. And no, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on, Coach. I, I learned a lot, and, and thank you so much for being really generous with your time and, and being so open in your answers. No problem. It's been a lot of fun, fellas. Thank you.